many of you are somewhat familiar with King David? Well, yeah, pretty well-known guy. And, you know, you folks are biblical people. Please tell me some things about David. Tell me what you think about this guy. What stands out? What, you know, what are the, what are the big things? He played a harp. He was a musician. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. A warrior poet. Seems like a not typical combination, does it? But yeah, definitely. Anything else? Tell me about David. Tell me about his highs. Tell me about his lows. What's he most known for? He went now? Oh, yeah. Jesus descended from the lineage of David. And somebody, he killed Goliath. Somebody over here said, Yeah. Kind of a bad guy. Kind of a bad boy. Yeah. He, he goes in and out. Yeah. Yeah, he would have fit well in the 60s. You guys should have been there. Well, no. um, what else? Tell me something about David. Tell me, what, what is something about some of the events? We know that he killed Goliath. What about some events in his life? He was running away, you mean, during after Samuel anointed him? Yeah. Well, actually, and I would point out that on the one hand, he was running. Actually, do you know he ran from Saul for 10 years? Because... King Saul, his predecessor, wanted to kill him because he was jealous of him. But I think in reality, he was running for Saul's life, not his own, because twice God put Saul right in his hand. He could have killed him, no problem. And nobody in their right mind fought this guy. He didn't lose. He'd never lost a fight in his life. And, and so, and he was saying to, to God, I mean, God had anointed him as the next king and, and declared through Samuel that he was taking the kingdom uh, away from, from Saul. And David said, I'm not going to reach out my hand and do this for myself. I'll leave this up to God. He was popular with all the people. That, that's why Saul hated him. But yeah, he, 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 he ran. He was anointed of God to be king of Israel. And, and he ran and hid for 10 years rather than just reach out and take it. Anything else? Some events in his life. You all know who Abigail was? Married to a wonderful guy. What was that rascal's name? Uh, Nabal. Yeah, Nabal. Oh, my goodness. Do you, you know who Abigail? Some of you? Yeah. So David, like, like this young man said, David was a bit of a hothead. He was impulsive. He was very passionate. And uh, he and his men have 500 men. And these were, these were bad men. These were people you did not want to mess with. And they were, oh, this could sound a little awkward, but sort of God's version of the Hell's Angels. And they, they were trouble. And they'd been out in the country. They were thirsty. They were hungry. And this guy, Nabal, was well-to-do. He had more than enough. And David, David sent some guys, say, listen, would you give us some food? And Nabal told him to shove off. Man, I don't, I don't, you, you don't get a thing out of me. And David was so angry, he was going to go kill him. And so he mounted up with, I don't know how many, but a pretty good horde, and headed off. Well, Nabal's wife, this woman named Abigail, was a very wise woman. And she understood what was likely to happen. And so she secretly loaded up a whole bunch of donkeys and provision and food for everybody and went out and met David and his men on the way to kill her husband. And she said, don't do this in the sight of God. Don't diminish yourself. Don't diminish God. I've brought you all this provision. And, and David acknowledged her wisdom and the spirit guiding. He wound up marrying her later. David didn't kill Nabal, but Nabal died pretty soon. And and David wound up marrying her. Um, uh, any other big events in the life of David? 
Anybody heard the name Bathsheba? Oh. Uh, wasn't she kind of a... Didn't she cheat a lot? I, I know. She's gotten a bad rap over the years. Um, yeah, um, she was a beautiful woman who lived next door to the palace. And it was the season of war. And so the men were out fighting wars. And David goes out on his roof one night. And this beautiful woman goes out on her roof. It's the way things were constructed to bathe. And he sees her bathing down there. And gets over, hands himself over to lust and winds up committing adultery with her. And you know the rest of the story? You know who, you know who Uriah is? Her husband, yeah. And so she gets pregnant. And David learns about it. And her husband comes in for a couple days R&R from the battle. And David invites him up, treats him well, tells him, go home, get a rest, sleep with your wife, hoping that they'll make love, she'll be pregnant, they'll be able to put it off and, and hide the whole thing. And her husband refuses to do it. He said, how can I go home to the comfort of my bed and my wife when my brothers are out there fighting in a war I should still be in? And so when he heads back to the war, David tells his guys, have the men rush the wall of the enemy, and when you get to the wall, back off and leave him by himself. And he gets killed. And he's guilty of the death of the husband of the woman he seduced. And th th this is God's man, right? How does, how does that settle with being God? Because I think killing Goliath and his, um, his adultery with Bathsheba and the resulting murder of her husband, I think those are the kind of high and low points of, of this guy's life. And this is somebody that we learn from Scripture, it says, captured the heart of God. He was, a, he was a man after God's own heart. Why on earth would this guy be a man after God's own heart? Anybody? Any thoughts? <clears throat> it's my opinion that the biggest contribution to David being so close to God's heart in this radical life is that whether it be by conviction of the Holy Spirit or whether confronted by someone else, in this case, a prophet named Nathan, David took sides with God against his own sin. He wouldn't protect his sin. He wouldn't hide his sin. He wouldn't justify his sin. He wouldn't excuse his sin. And so with that in mind, I want to read, if you guys want to read along, I'm going to read Psalm 32. It's not that long. It won't take that long. And I think we gain some understanding here. David wrote this song. Now, you know, these aren't in a chronologically correct order as you read through them. I'm going to make reference to another psalm that he wrote that expresses some complimentary sentiment. So Psalm 32, David writes, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom, woman, the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In effect, ponder that, Selah, ponder that. Anyways, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Ponder that. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Ponder that. I, then, then he hears the Lord speaking to him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Wow. What an extreme polar swing from one end to the other. He's, he's hiding his sin, trying to keep it secret, and, and the conviction of God, you know, I love Jesus said the Holy Spirit does three things for us. He convinces us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I think he convinces us of sin so we'll run from it. He convinces us of righteousness so we'll run to it. And he convinces us of judgment, so we'll know there's a consequence to both of them. And so here he is, admitting that he tried to hide his sin from God, but God pressured him. God cut the ring off on him. Now, I'm not asking you to reveal anything here, but he ever do that to you? You know, I grew up in church. I knew who the Lord was. I had genuinely encountered and embraced the Lord as a child of eight or nine. And then I went off and lived like the devil himself for most of my teens and my 20s. And through it all, God did that. He pressured me. He cornered me. He reminded me of who he is and my separation from him because of my sin. And he was relentless. Now I had people praying for me. I had a praying mother who, and I was, I was, a, I was, a, <laughs> I was a bad person, a probably worse person than any of you have ever met. And, and my mother, I, I would, quite frankly, I'd use drugs right in front of her, in my house, not hers. And my mother would smile at me sweetly and say, that's fine, Kirby. You're going to serve God one day. Hmm. She got to be a part of this congregation for six years before she died. The mercy of God. You know, he could write us off after one sin and be just and righteous. The mercy of God that pursues us in our sin. I don't know if it seemed familiar to you when David was saying he was hiding from God, but God pursued him. causes me to think of Adam and Eve, the first sinners. And it says prior to that, they were naked and unashamed, and that had nothing to do with their clothing. They had nothing to hide. They didn't know what wrong was. They didn't know what evil was in themselves, between each other, between them and God. It says God walked with them in the cool of the garden 
And they were open and free and unencumbered before God. And they sinned, and their first reaction was to be ashamed and hide from God. So God shows up walking through the garden and says, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know. He wanted them to reveal themselves to him. And they said, well, we were naked and ashamed, so we hid from you. He said, who told you you were naked? And so it's our natural human nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve to want to hide from God when we've sinned and from him certainly from each other. Yet we learn in the New Testament, it says, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. Of what? Your faults. And so, I mean, none of these bodies are getting out of here alive unless we're here when Jesus comes back. Although that could happen. We could be fast approaching that, that very thing. And so I think when I read this psalm, I think I see David rejoicing in the freedom that he finally learned, he finally obtained, that he knew could only come by way of his failure. I think best case scenario, our worst failure should be our best friend. We don't excuse sin, didn't work, it still doesn't. But I think only our worst failure can convince us of our absolute dependence upon God. We simply cannot do this without him. It doesn't matter how badly we want to. Paul writes about that frustration in Romans chapter 7. How frustrating it is to do your best. He said, but the thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the thing I want to do, I don't do. But then finally, chapter 8, thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit. I think, you know, David, Michael, and I were talking about the incredible prophetic insight that, that God gave David. And he foresaw Christ's suffering on the cross. How could he know that? Here's this incredible guy. And I think part of, the, part of the message for us is, you know, we so easily, not just that we judge each other by weaknesses or failures or something like that, but we judge ourselves. And rightfully so, if we're protecting our sin, practicing our sin, excusing our sin, hiding our sin, doing all that. First John is very bold. I mean, if you want to get a good, clear picture about how to, how to view and deal with our sin, go to the little book of First John in the back there. And he's just as plain as day. And he says, if we claim we don't have sin, we're lying to ourselves. But he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I don't know that we get a hold of that as well as we ought to. I think we embrace the forgiveness part, that God's not holding me accountable for this. But if he says he cleanses us of all unrighteousness, are, are we willing to receive that? Or are we still somehow needlessly walking around feeling dirty and stained when he himself has provided everything to not only forgive us, but cleanse us? And, and he's delivered it, but if we haven't received it, we remain without the benefits of that. And, you know, John says, if you sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I love that picture because if, if you look at that language, it's really describing a courtroom. And the advocate is the same word as attorney. And I don't know if any of you ever got in trouble with the law, but the way it works is the judge is up there and the judge is going to decide. There's a prosecutor over here 
laying out all of your wrongs before everybody, and you're over at the defense table, and if you're smart, you keep your mouth shut and let your defense attorney speak for you. And Jesus says before, so the devil stands up to accuse us of every wrong we've ever done, or maybe our most recent one. And Jesus says to the judge, I speak for this one. When you and I, so how do, how do we deal with our sin if, if we're somebody who's walking with Christ and, and we stumble, we give in and we sin, same way we did on the day of salvation? We confess our sin openly to him at the foot of the cross. Do you know it rightfully belongs to him? He's already paid for it. We're depriving him of what he suffered for if we withhold our sin from him. And so we rightly give it to him so he can free us from it. And quite frankly, the more often we do that, the less we'll need to. And, and so I'm looking at David, and here's this man after God's own heart. And I think this is somebody that, you know, I love in Hebrews uh, 4, 14 through 16. Speaking of Jesus, says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was himself in every way tempted just like we are. That's hard for me to get a hold of, but I have to believe him. Therefore, because of that, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to get mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When's our greatest time of need? When we've sinned and allowed this break between us and God, our fellowship with him. And so I think if there's a message for us to, to receive and follow David, it's to let grace and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing have its perfect work in us. And to, to not fall into the deception and the delusion. You know, if you've, if you've um, confessed your sin to God, it's handled and you can't be accused of that. Like I said, I, I, I was a bad person. I didn't turn back to the Lord until I was 29 years old. But one thing that, that I learned along those and people told me when I came to Christ that the blood of Jesus had covered all of that and, and it was all washed away and everything was good. But somebody with wisdom said to me, you, you, you committed your sins one at a time. Is there any reason why you shouldn't confess them one at a time? And so... I was led to just spend the day, my wife and the kids went to school, just spend the day, I got out a legal pad, and uh, said, Lord, just, wow, open it up here, whatever, whatever you want. And made it a point to go back through, and anything that he identified, then I openly confessed before him, and received his promise of forgiveness and cleansing. And so, after that, and there was one dramatic incident, but when the devil would come to accuse me, of a sin that I had committed, whether it be distant, past, or recent, I was able to say to him, thank you for reminding me of Christ's sacrifice in my behalf. Thank you for reminding me of my forgiveness and cleansing. Thank you for reminding me of the greatness of God that's not only greater than my sin, but greater than any and all opposition ever. And you and I cannot be accused. We cannot be accused. See? And this is just this wonderful, powerful thing. And so David, you know, he became so humble that later in his life, when his son Absalom had turned against him and actually stirred up a rebellion and was coming to Jerusalem, going to, going to try and kill his father and, and take the kingdom. And I, I suggested a book to Michael earlier. I would suggest to all of you, very little book can be read very quickly by a man named Gene Edwards, Eugene Edwards, and it's called A Tale of Three Kings. 
and it's about Saul, David, and Absalom. And so David's riding out of town, and he's going to hand over the city and the kingdom. And, and his, his, his military general says, you want me to go cut this guy down? And, and David says, no, nah, leave him alone. It wasn't it. It was, um, who was a, a, a Shimi running along, throwing rocks at David and screaming curses at him while he's riding out of town. And, and his general says, you want me to go cut that guy in half? He says, no, nah, leave him alone. Who knows? Maybe God's done with me. And, and he just, he became so humble, he didn't need to defend himself. He didn't need to fight anymore. He entrusted himself entirely to God. So um, my prayer for all of us, for you, for me, for all of us, I expect most of you here are under 29. And so you're doing a lot better than me already by a long shot. And uh, uh, I, my, my prayer is, Father, that we would... Uh, Lord, if anybody's sitting here tonight with some unconfessed sin, if you've never confessed your sin before Christ, if you've never recognized the justice of your own guilt, that God would be justified to condemn you to hell forever. But that's not been his response. He sent his own son to live a sinless life and voluntarily die on our behalf. You realize they didn't murder Jesus. He said, no man takes my life. Of my own will, I lay it down. Of my own will, I'll take it up again. I don't think humanity had the power to take the life of the one who is life. And, and so if you've never done it before, do it right now. Father, I pray that your conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment would be present for us. And, and for, for, for those of you who are walking with Christ and enjoying his grace and mercy and love, um, wow, don't leave anything unconfessed. You know, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit is consistent enough. When you or I sin, wow, he, he doesn't let us just walk around and ignore that. Pay attention to him, respond to him, don't hide. Come to the Lord freely and openly and honestly and make the trade. It's the best one we'll ever make of our sin for his forgiveness and cleansing for all eternity. Amen.